Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you that you're here with us in our midst. Thank you that uh, you've given us of your Holy Spirit, that we could know the, the things pertaining to you, that we could have eyes to see into your heart, that we could have eyes to see the spirit of faith. Father, we just thank you that uh, the, the faith could be put on display for everybody to see today, that we could see clearly um, what the Christian faith is all about, and we can, we can go off today knowing um, what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Glory to God. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and um, I get so lost, I guess you could say, in um, what I understand that I can just want to build on from what I understand. And I could think that some things are, aren't as important as they probably are in the world. But I, I want to talk about what it is we believe and why it is we believe it. Because I, I, I think what can happen is the traditions of man can come in. Um, a lot of uh, man-made doctrines can enter into the church. And you can get to the place where a whole lot of people in the church don't even really know what the Christian faith is. Right. So when I talk about I want to talk about what we believe and why we believe it, I don't just mean what does this group of people here believe? I'm talking about the Christian faith. What is the faith all about and how do we know what it is and what it is not? Right. How can we know what the faith is and what it is not? And if, if you read in Ephesians chapter four, the Apostle Paul, I mean, most people will agree the Apostle Paul is great. We need to live by what this guy says. I mean, that's Paul, right? The Apostle Paul says there's one Lord, and he says there's one faith. Well, listen, man, I don't know if you guys realize it, but I look out into the church and the world worldwide, and there's a whole lot of different faiths, all under the, the, the umbrella of quote-unquote Christianity. There's so many different things. Well, how can the Apostle Paul come and say there's one faith? And you look out in the world and you see all these things. And so a, a lot of strange doctrines have crept into the body of Christ over the years, setting themselves up as pillars in the church and distracting us from what the faith is really all about. And, and one of the reasons why you see so many different denominations in the earth, has anybody ever spent the time to go count all the different denominations that out of their mouth would claim Christianity? Listen, maybe it's because I spend my time ministering that I read those kinds of articles, right? I'm not like working for an oil company, so I'm not studying geology and those kinds of things. I'm not working in the hospital, so I'm not off studying things about medical care. I'm not an attorney, so I'm not studying the law. I'm in ministry, and so I'm studying these kinds of things. But there's like 30,000 different denominations that would all claim Christianity. I don't know if you guys realize that sounds like confusion. And listen, if there's that many denominations, that means there's that many leaders, quote unquote, that have started them. That means the people are confused. And I don't know that it's the fault of the people. Right? I mean, confusion has, has spread forth. And I, I'm thinking of, and we're all adults in here, so I, I'm thinking of the Jack Nicholson movie. Not the Jack Nicholson movie, but the, one of the Batman movies. Where, where Jack Nicholson, and you guys forgive me, I'm not like clean cut like most preachers, right? I'm just raw. Um, 
Some people are like, is that guy really the preacher? <laughs> Listen, that's what I said to God. Am I really the preacher? You must have gotten it wrong, bro. <laughs> Certainly there's someone more presentable. <laughs> but I'm thinking of the Batman movie where, where Jack Nicholson plays, is playing, plays the Joker. And he says, this town needs an enema. And listen, forgive me. I've just got to say it the way that it is. I think the, the body of Christ needs an enema. We, we need like a flushing out uh, of all these man-made doctrines and, and all these, these traditions that have entered in, right? Because what's happened is most people have exchanged the one true faith innocently, not on purpose. They just listen to what somebody says. And they, they take it as the gospel. Listen, I'm not going to tell you what I say. We're going to point to how we know this is what is said, right? This isn't about what Greg says. This is about what the Lord Jesus said. And it's going to be real clear cut when you look at it. But one of the things that's happened is we've exchanged the one true faith for our pet doctrines or our favorite theologians' pet doctrines. And then what happens is we branch off with them and their pet doctrines and their favorite theologians, right? And we, we form different tribes. The world has a big thing right now. What's your tribe, right? Find the people you identify with, and that's your group. It's not supposed to be like that in the body of Christ, right? The body of Christ is supposed to come under one faith, like Paul said, one Lord, one faith. It's not supposed to be all these different branches. So how is it that we got ourselves here? And so when, when you really look at, at, at Jesus coming to the earth, yeah, he, he died on the cross and he took our sin into himself so that the death, the death that was reigning over us could be removed as far as the east is from the west. Yeah, he did that. But one of the main things he came into the earth to do, and one of the main reasons why God sent him, is because God looked down into the earth and he saw that everybody and their mother had a teaching about the way unto life. Right? I mean, we got old wives' tales, don't we? What are old wives' tales? Some story about how you can get life. In this area or that area, we got fairy tales, we got mythology, we got fables, we got all these different things. And you know what all those things are? They're all stories about a way unto life. I mean, the fairy tales with the, the princess, right? Sleeping Beauty. What is that really a story about? It's a story about how this woman's going to find life from some Prince Charming. Well, what do you think that teaches little girls as they grow up? That some man is going to give them life. That some man is going to make them whole. And listen, there is a Prince Charming. It's just that it's not a man, it's God. And if you think that a man is your Prince Charming, what will happen is you'll never be made whole or find satisfaction because only God can make you whole. But that fairy tale is giving you a story about the way unto life. And so God looked down on the earth. He saw everybody and their mother had a teaching. Everybody under the sun had a doctrine about the way unto life. And so one of the things we want to come together today, and I hope we can all do, I had to do this a long time ago because I also had all my own doctrines. And God said to me one day, he said, Greg, uh, unless you crumple up all those things you think you know and throw them in the garbage, you're never going to understand the one true doctrine. 
And so what I hope is that we all going to come together, scrap all of our doctrines, and see the one true doctrine. Because God sent Jesus into the earth to decide the matter once and for all. He saw there was a whole lot of confusion about the way unto life. And he said, we got to decide the matter in the midst of these people. So everybody could see real clear cut, once and for all, what's the way unto life and what isn't. So everybody can know the only doctrine that is the way unto life, right? That's one of the reasons why I sent them. There's only one doctrine that's unto godliness. What is it? Because we all got our own opinions. Can we just be honest? We all got our own opinions about where life and godliness is found. And if we went around and asked each of us, we'd probably all say something different. But what does God say? What's God's doctrine about where life and godliness is found? Because he sent Jesus into the earth to make it very clear so there would no longer be any confusion about where life and godliness was found. Hallelujah. If you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, this is what the Apostle John says. And this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And so what the Apostle John does there is he describes the faith, the one true faith, very simply. And maybe the most concise and simple statement about what the faith is, what the Christian faith is, that's anywhere in the Bible. And he, he describes it by simply saying this, God has given us eternal life as a gift, and that eternal life is in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the word testimony is. When it says, and the testimony is this, the word testimony that John uses there is talking about the word God gave in Jesus about the way to inherit life and godliness. And so John's saying there, God has given a word about the way to inherit life and godliness. And the word that he has given is that life and godliness is contained in his son, Jesus Christ, period. That's it. Real simple. That's it. And so if you, if you read 1 John and you read that letter there, man, he, he talks about the Father and the Son, and he talks about uh, we have intimacy with the Father through the Son. And, and what he's talking about there is us having intimacy with the Father's life. And he says we have intimacy with the Father's life through having intimacy with the Son or believing on the word of life that was revealed in the Son. So the Father, God, the Father, has a life in himself. And the life he has in himself, listen, man, it is so much, it is so beautiful, it is so great that it can even overcome death in the flesh. It can overcome death in the flesh. And it can fill us with the love of God. Well, what John's saying there, and he says it also in his gospel, is that the Father has given that Jesus would have that same life in himself. Right? And so what he's saying there is the word about how to inherit the Father's life, the word about how to in inherit the Father's godliness, the word about how to inherit a life that overcomes sin in the flesh, the word about how to inherit a life that can purify our hearts from the fear that's in the world. That word has been revealed in the body of Jesus' death and resurrection. So there's a testimony contained in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
There's a word that John says was made flesh in the body of this man, Jesus' death and resurrection. And he says within the body of Jesus' resurrection and his death is the testimony or the declaration or the doctrine that's the only way unto life and godliness. That's what he says there. That's why he begins his letter by saying that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have looked upon with our eyes, which our hands have held of the word of life, of the word of life. When he says of the word of life, what he's meaning there is of the way that is unto life. The way that is unto life was manifested in this man, Jesus, so that we could see clearly in him what is the way unto the life and the godliness that we desire and that we could walk in that way. That's what this whole letter is about. The way that's unto life. If you look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, this is what he says. But the anointing, which you have received of Jesus abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in Jesus. Now, John, John's, listen, hopefully we can, we can use critical thinking. I know that's a skill in the world that's like gone. <laughs> Like, there is no ability to critically think anymore. But uh, let's c- critically think here. John's not saying you're not in need of being taught because he's teaching them right then. Do you see what I'm saying? So the point isn't that we're not in need of being taught. The point that he's making is that we're not in need of being taught any other doctrine about the way to inherit life and godliness other than from the anointing we receive from Jesus. And the reason why he says that is because these Gnostic guys had infiltrated the church and they had a whole lot of ideas about how you're going to inherit life and godliness. And none of them was the way that was revealed in Jesus. And so John comes and says, listen guys, you're not in need of any other teaching about how you're going to inherit life and godliness. The only doctrine that can give you life and godliness was revealed in the body of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the anointing that was poured out from him onto you that abides in you. That's the only teaching that you're in need of. Now, what do you guys think he's talking about when he says the anointing that you receive from Jesus that abides in you? The Holy Spirit. That's right. He come and anointed you with the Holy Spirit. And so the anointing is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read in the scriptures, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. He says, I'm going to send another unto you, even the comforter, the spirit of truth. And what he says is, listen, you guys are not going to understand what's being revealed in me. You're not going to understand what's being revealed in my death and my resurrection. But I'm going to pour out of myself the same truth that I revealed in my death and my resurrection. And that truth will be poured out onto you and will abide in you. And that truth, that Holy Spirit that is the spirit of truth, that is the spirit of life. Listen, it's not going to speak of itself. It's not going to teach you of himself, but he's going to teach you and guide you into whatsoever things were revealed in me. That's what he says. And what he's saying is that anointing or that Holy Spirit contains within itself the truth that is the way to inherit life and godliness. And even as that anointing that abides in you has taught you to abide in me, 
and abide in the word that was revealed in me, you're not in need of any other teaching about the way unto life than that. Right? So where we're at so far is there was a word that was revealed in the body of Jesus' death and resurrection. That word that was revealed in him is the doctrine that is the only way to life and godliness. Right? We're not in need of any other teaching about life and godliness other than that. The problem is, is what happened in the church is since we haven't understood where life and godliness is actually found, we keep adding new doctrines. Because <laughs> if we don't think we see life and godliness, there's a problem. Oh, this must be the, oh yeah, we'll add this. Oh yeah, we'll add that. And next thing you know, we've added everything. And we no longer see what the one true faith is. If you look at the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, he says he received grace to be an apostle for the obedience of faith amongst all nations. And I'll, I'll probably touch on this maybe again at the end, but what is obedience? What is Christian obedience? I promise you, we've all been taught a doctrine about what Christian obedience is. And probably some of you have been taught that it means you got to give me money. Now listen, this church is only here out of the generosity of people, but you guys didn't see us take up a collection, did you? <laughs> we thank God for people just being filled with generous and being moved by God, right? If God wants this church to be here, ain't nobody going to take it away. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so we, we, we've been taught a lot of doctrines about what obedience is that doesn't really line up with the Christian doctrine or the word that was revealed in the body of Jesus' death and resur resurrection. Because Paul says something interesting there. He says he was giving grace to be an apostle for the obedience of faith amongst the nations. Well, how do you obey faith? I mean, how do you obey a belief or a word? You believe it. <laughs> That's the only way you can believe it. And so what Paul says there is he, the grace he received to be an apostle was for the purpose of people being persuaded by the faith or persuaded to believe on the Lord Jesus to inherit life and godliness. You want to know the Christian obedience since we got all these doctrines about what obedience is? The Christian obedience is for you to believe that the only way you can inherit life and godliness is by you allowing God to give it to you as a gift. And he's given it to you as a gift in the man Jesus Christ. Amen. That's Christian obedience. If you believe that, you've obeyed the truth. Paul says it that way in Galatians. He called obeying the truth. How do you obey a truth? You believe it. Your heart says that's the truth. That's obedience. <laughs> right? But listen, man, lots of very smart people, you know, they want to get people to do the things they want them to do, and so they equate all those things to obedience. You need to obey. See how strange doctrines creep in real easy? See how easy it is? So this same, he says, he received grace to be an apostle for the obedience of faith or to preach the faith there. That's the beginning of Romans chapter 1. For those of you that like to follow along in the scripture or write down the scriptures. Now when Paul says for the preaching of the faith, what faith is Paul talking about there? Because he says the faith. 
We all went to English, right? I, I don't know how it was when you, some of you guys were kids. Some of you are older, some of you are younger. But when I was a kid, like, you had to break up the sentences into these different forms and everything. And so you would, oh, that's the definite article. Would it, would it, when you put the before the word faith, what it's saying is the faith. There is no other faith. The faith. And so Paul says his apostleship was for the purpose of preaching the faith. That means it's a definitive thing. It isn't like, well, we don't know what it is. It could be this, it could be that, whatever you like, you know. It's, we'll just mix it in. No, no, no. He's speaking of something definitively. So what faith is Paul talking about when he says that? Because the scriptures tell us what it is. And it tells us how we can know that's what it is. And so Paul, the faith that he's talking about there, if you look in Galatians 2, Paul says something very interesting. He says he lives his life in this world by the faith of the Son of God. So there he is giving us a hint into the faith he's talking about. Now he comes and adds a descriptor, and he says the faith of the Son of God. If Paul was preaching a faith, which he called the faith, and he later on comes and says, the life I live in this world, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Do you think that's the faith he's preaching? If that's the faith he's living by, you better believe it. And so he comes and describes the faith as the faith of the Son of God. Or if you read further in Galatians, or you go back in Galatians 2, he says the faith of Jesus Christ. Now what does he mean when he says the faith of the Son of God or the faith of Jesus Christ? Now, when Paul says that, what Paul's talking about is the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. What he's saying is there was a faith that was revealed in Jesus when he was nailed to the cross. And that faith that was revealed in Jesus is actually the way unto life and godliness. And he says, how do we know it's the way unto life and godliness? Because we saw that guy come out of the grave having overcome death in the flesh, having overcome sin in the flesh, having inherited the very glory and immortality of God inside of his physical body. So what we know is the faith that is unto godliness was in the man Jesus when he was nailed to the cross because we see godliness manifested in him when he came out of the grave. And if you keep reading in Galatians, Paul says he was crucified with Christ. And then he goes on to describe what he means when he says he was crucified with Christ. When he says, the life I live in this world, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And what he's saying is, I saw a faith in Jesus when he was nailed to the tree. There was a wisdom being revealed there. I beheld it. And that same wisdom, that same faith was born in me. And it's because of his fellowship, Paul says. It's because of my fellowship with the faith that was in the Son of God when he was being crucified. It's because of my fellowship with that that I walk in this world as a living sacrifice. That ain't talking about you performing some ministry. Another strange doctrine that crept into the church. How many of you had Romans 12:1 quoted to you and said you become a living sacrifice and it's about how you got to serve the church? That's not what Paul's talking about when he says he's a living sacrifice. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who's living in me. I was crucified with Christ, yet I live still. That's a living sacrifice. <laughs> and so what he says there is that it's through, because of his fellowship, 
with the faith that was in Jesus' heart as he was being crucified, that he walks in this world as a living sacrifice. What does it mean to walk in this world as a living sacrifice? What it means is, is the power behind Paul's life was no longer the strength in his own hand or the strength that was in the world. He's saying the power behind my life is the very strength of God's hand. The power behind my life is the very life that manifested in Jesus when he was raised from the dead. That's why Paul would say, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. My own strength is no longer the power behind my life, but the very life of God is the power behind my life. Hallelujah. And he's saying that power that is now animating his life, the very life of Christ. He's saying that happened to him. That life was born in him through him seeing the faith that was in Jesus' heart when he was nailed to the tree. That's what he's saying. You guys following me? I know this is doctrinal, um, but the, the message before the message was very heartfelt. All of it's heartfelt for me. If you guys knew how much time I spend praying on these things and thinking about them before I preach them. Listen, I don't take it lightly that you guys come and sit in here and let me talk to you. This is not a place for me to practice my doctrines. I take it very seriously that I'm talking to you guys. You guys are the precious people of God. You guys are the children of God, right? And I'm not, I don't come talking about things. Well, I think this is true. Let's see. Let's see how it works. No, no, no. I spend a lot of time trying to prove what I say wrong. And I spent a lot of time seeking God because what's more important is whether it's the truth than me feeling good about what I said. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Um, 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul says to Timothy, young Timothy. <laughs> Timothy and Titus were Paul's favorite disciples. And if you look at the end before Paul was going to be offered up, he really had two guys left that were following him. Those two guys. And that was basically the great apostle, right? I mean, listen, if Paul was alive today, we would think he was a heretic because certainly he should have a gigantic church if he was really an apostle. But he had two people left on the, at the end. Jesus, how many people were there at the cross with him? He's the great prophet. One was there. One and his mother. <laughs> what, and Mary Magdalene, right? Those are the only ones that were there. The great prophet, God himself. So Paul says to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, great is the mystery of godliness. It was a mystery. And sadly, in the church, it's still a mystery. <laughs> it, man, it breaks my heart for the church. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Now listen, when Paul encountered the glorified Jesus on the road to Damascus, the reason why he says great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. See, it was no longer a mystery to Paul at that point. He said the mystery that had been hid from before the ages was revealed in Christ Jesus. Well, if you look at Paul's life later on on the road to Damascus, when he encountered the glorified man Jesus, godliness was no longer a mystery to him. He was no longer wondering what godliness is and where godliness is found. Because on the road to Damascus, he encountered a man who had the fullness of God in him, in his body. And so he saw godliness standing right in front of his face. And he's like, listen, man, I had my own ideas about where to get godliness. And we'll get into that. But it was no longer a mystery because the mystery of how you could attain to godliness or inherit godliness was now standing before Paul on the road to Damascus when he was Saul. 
Now, when Paul was Saul, when godliness was a mystery, what did Saul think about godliness and where it was found? Because he had a lot of doctrines. He was a Pharisee. It's not that he's just sitting around saying, well, we don't know. He thought he knew, right? He's like the guy Jesus talks about in John chapter 8, or maybe John, yeah, John chapter 9, where he says those who think they see will be revealed to be blind, right? And those who were thought to be blind will be the ones who see, right? Paul thought he saw, but he actually didn't see. He was actually blind. How do we know? Because when he encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, what happened? He was blind. And so it was revealed that his sight wasn't sight at all. It was actually blindness, right? So when Paul was Saul, he thought godliness was found in the strength of the flesh. He thought it was found in the works of his own hands. He thought it was found in his own ability. He thought the strength to be exalted to life and to be exalted to godliness was found or contained in the Jewishness of his flesh. It's on account of me being Jewish. And it's on account of me performing the works of the law. So through me being Jewish and through me performing the works of the law, that's how I'm going to inherit godliness. That's how I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul thought when he was Saul. And this is what the idea was. This is what the Pharisee mind was. For those of you that are wondering, maybe some of you have a Jewish background or some Jewish background, and so you might have a little understanding of this. But most Gentile people don't understand what a Pharisee thought. And this is what a Pharisee thought. First, you've got to be Jewish. The next thing you got to do is you're going to sow the strength in your own hand. And through you sowing the strength of your own hand to do what is right, you're going to produce good fruit. The good fruit you produce is going to be by your own strength. Once you produce good fruit by your own strength, by performing the works of the law, you're going to take that good fruit, and that good fruit is what's going to justify you with life and godliness. That was the idea. That's what Paul thought. That's what all the Pharisees thought. That's why they got so upset with the things Jesus was teaching about what the law really said. Because he came tearing that whole idea down. And that's why they hated him. Because they thought that he was tearing down the law. But he comes and says, think not that I come to destroy the law. I actually come to reveal to you the spirit of what the law was always saying. Because you've missed it. You think the law talks about how you're going to inherit life and godliness through the strength in your own hand. But the law actually talks about the strength in God's hand. And how God's going to hit the mark for you and come and offer it to you, life to you as a gift. Yeah. And that Pharisee mindset is very consistent with the wisdom that's in the world. If you look at the wisdom in the world, the wisdom of the world says it's the strength contained in the flesh that will exalt you, right? We say it's being strong according to the flesh, right? Or wise according to the flesh. How many degrees you got? You must be the blessed. It's not bad to have degrees, but if you think degrees is what makes you the blessed or gives you life, listen, that's a perverted thought. Or it's the noble according to the flesh, the wisdom of the world says, right? Uh, monarchies. Do you know if you study history, they actually thought that kings and queens and stuff were special from God. Because look at this nobility that's upon me. They thought nobility was a sign of godliness. They thought it was a sign that you had life in godliness. And so the nobility they had from the world, they thought was the power unto them having life in godliness. Well, listen, Jesus really blows that up in the example of Lazarus and the rich man, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, because the guy who was decrepit on the side of the road getting whipped by a dog, he inherited eternal life. And the rich guy, where was he? 
And even the rich young ruler. When Jesus sent the rich young ruler away, the disciples were confounded because they thought a rich guy had inherited life and godliness. And they said, if that guy can't inherit the kingdom, then who can? You see how confused they were? And so the wisdom of the world says it's by the strength of the flesh. It says the power for your heart to be lifted up unto peace, unto love, unto joy is found in the strength you can see here in your flesh. It says the power to be justified is contained in the goodness you see in your flesh, whether it be strength, whether it be nobility, or whether it be that you're wise according to the world, right? There's a whole lot of people right now that quote unquote the world says are very wise. In fact, we're inundated with their prognostications daily. How many of us think they're actually wise? The veil's been pulled back, ain't it? Listen, man, we all know we cannot inherit life and godliness through those guys' wisdom. But the world has come along and said, look how wise they are. It's the wise according to the flesh that inherit life and godliness. That's what the wisdom of the world says. It says that within what you see in your flesh, whether it be your ability or the beauty you can see there, in that is contained the power for you to be justified. That's what the wisdom of the world says. That's what Saul thought before he was Paul. When he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, that's what he thought. It's found in having the best seats in the opera house. It's found in being respected by the people, wearing nice garments, having the riches of the world. That's where it's found. And really, mammon was their God. It's what Jesus said. You can't serve two masters, man. And so when Paul, who was Saul, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, Something happened. Christ made Saul's wisdom look foolish. He blew up everything Saul thought about the doctrine that was under life and godliness. And you might think, well, well how, how, did, how, did that, how did it blow it up? I'm glad you didn't ask. You got to remember when Paul encountered Jesus, he wasn't just like, wow, look at a glorified man. He was a Pharisee. And so what that means is he spent every waking moment of his life searching the scriptures, trying to find the way into life and godliness. That's all he thought about was inheriting the kingdom. And so when he encountered this man, Jesus, on the road to Damascus, and he saw this guy, Jesus, standing in the glory of God, he saw this guy, Jesus, had inherited the kingdom of God inside of his physical body. This guy has inherited life and godliness. So all of a sudden, Paul saw the life and godliness he was all the time wanting, and he saw it manifested in this man, Jesus. Well, this was a big problem for Paul. Do you know why it was a big problem for Paul? Because this guy, Jesus, his last thought about Jesus was on the cross. Did Jesus look strong on the cross? Did he look like he was noble? Did he look like he was wise? Did he look like he was strong on the cross? No, in fact, Paul looked at Jesus and thought that guy was filled with nothing but lack. There was nothing beautiful to see in this guy, Jesus. There was no strength to be seen in his flesh. The only thing that could be seen was that this guy was full of all weakness. All you could see in Jesus was sin and cursing and death. And Paul would have thought, but wait a second, I thought that life and godliness was found in, in me performing these works. But this guy here, he has what I wanted. 
And the last time I saw this guy, his hands were nailed to a tree. He could do no good work. How did he end up like this? And so then Paul would have started thinking, wait a second. That guy, Jesus, that's glorified now, when his hands were nailed to a tree and he could do no good work, when there was nothing beautiful to be seen in him, when there was only sin and death and cursing to be seen in him, when he looked like the account of Lazarus and the rich man, when he looked like that on the cross, that guy, what he did was he cried out to the Father. That guy, Jesus, all he did was he said, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so he would have thought of Jesus crying out to the Father and committing his desire for... Because Jesus desired life when he was nailed to the tree, didn't he? I mean, Hebrews comes and says he cried out to the one who could save him from death. And so when Jesus was nailed to the tree, do you know what he wanted? He wanted life and godliness. What do we all want? Life and godliness. And then we see when Jesus wanted life and godliness, how did he go about getting it? He committed his desire for life and godliness into the strength of the Father's hand, and he didn't look to the strength in his own hand because they were nailed to a tree. You know what he looked? He looked at his hands, and he said, within these members is not the ability to produce life and godliness, but within the hand of the Father is the ability to give me the life and the godliness that I desire. Father, into your hands I commit my life. This is the developing of Paul's faith. This is the faith Paul talked about when he said the faith of the Son of God or the faith that he saw in Jesus when Jesus was nailed to the tree. He would have wanted to know how did this guy get here glorified? I mean, Paul said he coveted the life of God all the time. All his days he was coveting the life of God, but he thought it was through his service, through his much studying, through his performing the works of the law. That's how he was going to attain to it. And then he sees a guy who didn't do anything but cry out to the Father, having inherited what he always wanted. You think that affected Paul's doctrine? What do you think Paul began to preach then? That the way to inherit life and godliness is the way that this man Jesus inherited life and godliness. And the way this man Jesus inherited life and godliness was not by the good deeds that he did. It wasn't by the miracles he performed. He didn't call out to the Father when he was nailed to the cross and say, Father, what about the miracles I performed? What about the good thing that I did? He didn't say any of that, did he? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my desire for life. He didn't come to the Father and say, look what I did, where's my payment? He wasn't like the Pharisee in Luke 18 that's standing next to the sinner and is busy telling God about all the things that he's done and how thankful he is he isn't like this worthless sinner who hasn't done anything. I've given you this. I've done that. I've served this. I've performed this. I've done all that. I'm so thankful for all my good works. You know what the sinner said? Within myself, I have nothing to offer you, God. Jesus says, which one you think went away justified? <laughs> you see Paul's doctrine developing? He saw a faith in Jesus when Jesus was being crucified. And he said, that's got to be the way unto life and godliness, because now I see this guy clothed in the glory of God. I see it right in front of my face. 
And so Paul's doctrine was made foolish on the road to Damascus because he saw a person who looked like the weakest person that had ever lived on the face of the earth. He saw that guy with the strength of God in him. And so that's why Paul comes and says in 1 Corinthians 1 that God made foolish the wisdom of the world on the cross. That's why he says he made it foolish on the cross. He made it look foolish. Paul goes on to say something profound. Paul says so many profound things, but Paul goes on to say in that same context that he purposed to know nothing in their midst save Jesus and him crucified. What do you think he's talking about when he says that? And whose midst is he talking about? He's talking about in the midst of the church. He's saying, I purpose to know one doctrine in the midst of the body of Christ. And the only doctrine I purpose to know and the only doctrine I purpose to teach is the doctrine that was revealed in Christ when he was being crucified. He goes on to say Christ, in the same context, Christ, the wisdom of God, Christ, the power of God. What is he saying? That within Christ crucified, within the faith that was seen when Jesus was being crucified, it's contained the wisdom that is under life and godliness, and it's contained the power of God to manifest life and godliness in people. What wisdom? Father, within this hand, there is no ability to gather my life to myself, but in your hand is the ability to serve me with life. Into your hands I commit my life. Who's the giver of all life? You or God? I mean, I say these things and we're all like, no, duh. But then we're all the time looking at our ability to produce life. And when we don't see life manifest, we think God's somehow despising us. Like he thinks we can produce life. You think God thinks you can produce life? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is his doctrine. <laughs> he knows you can't produce life. He's not telling you produce life. He's not telling you to produce godliness. Do you know what he's telling you? I am the creator of all things. That's why I'm called Father. I am the only one that can produce life and godliness in people. If you desire to see life and godliness manifest in you, don't look to your own strength, but rather look into the strength of me and the strength of my life. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? I mean, what do you guys see Jesus do on the cross other than commit his life into the hands of the Father? The doctrine is real simple. That's where Paul learned his doctrine. He learned his doctrine from Christ crucified. That was his teacher. He, he learned from the cross. It's not by the strength of the flesh because he saw there's no strength in Jesus. He learned it's not by the, the goodness I see in my flesh that I can be exalted to life. It's not the good fruit I can produce for God that will cause me to overcome sin and death in the flesh. It's not my ability to perform the works of the law. This is Paul's doctrine being taught by looking at Jesus on the cross. It's not my service that will exalt me to life and godliness. It's not Calvin's perverted view of predestination that will exalt me to life and godliness. It's not the preterist doctrine that will cause me to overcome sin in the flesh. It's not the Hebrew roots doctrine that will cause me to be justified with life. It's not by the gather, me gathering good to myself by my much positive confession that I'm going to find myself overcoming the fear in this world. All those doctrines are man-made things that we've added in to try to teach people how they're going to have life and godliness. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead because he believed in Calvin's predestination doctrine. He wasn't raised from the dead by the preterist view. He wasn't raised from the dead by the doctrine of universalism. None of those things raised him from the dead. And all of those things are man-made doctrines that are distractions from the one true faith. 
the one thing that will produce life and godliness in you. Paul, you know, Paul was taught, you know what he was taught? It's, it's by simply calling upon the name of the Lord. That's what this guy did. That's what it means to call Jesus rabbi or master. You have your doctrine about the way unto life having been taught to you by him. And do you know where he's teaching you? At the cross. Because that's where he needed life. And he's teaching you about the way unto life on the cross. That's him as rabbi. He's rabbi on the cross. And he's teaching you the doctrine that's unto life. And so Paul was taught by looking at Jesus. And he said, I just call upon the name of the Lord. I'm going to inherit life and godliness by simply believing on the goodness of the Father to do a work to serve me with life. It's going to be simply by me looking to the Father and his work in the lamb he provided that will cause sin and death to pass over me. Wasn't it the blood of the lamb that caused death to pass over the Hebrews? <laughs> the father has, Paul's like, oh my goodness, I thought I had to do all this. I thought I had to do all that. I thought all these things would, would give me life and godliness. I thought it was the strength of the flesh. I thought it was because I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew Hebrews. I thought it was because I was circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. But all of a sudden I see, no, 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 the father's going to do a work and he's going to provide a lamb. And that lamb is going to remove death from me and death is going to pass over me and the father is going to give me or serve me with his godliness by the power of his lamb oh hallelujah and now you see the obedience of paul he believed in the lamb that would take away the sin of the world that's obedience you know what the children of disobedience are it's not those people out there doing bad things it's the children of disobedience are the people who reject the lamb of god they're disobeying the truth they're rejecting it. They don't believe it. Now, if you reject the lamb that gives life, you know what's going to manifest out of you? Death. And so you will see death manifesting in people that have rejected the lamb. But the fruit that's manifesting out of them is not the disobedience. The disobedience occurs in their heart when they reject the lamb. Right? I told you I'd be a pool of sweat before, before it was all over. So I think I've exhausted what the faith is. Does everybody feel like they understand what the faith is? So, now comes the question. Why should we listen to you, Greg? If anybody who's been in this church long enough knows that I'll tell you, don't listen to me. Right? This ain't about the ministry of Greg. That's why it's not called Greg Henry Ministries. How do we know that this is what the Christian faith is all about? Why is it we believe that that is the only true doctrine? Why is it that the apostles, Paul and Peter and John and all those guys, why is it that that's what they believed? Right? How do we know that that's the faith? And I've already kind of alluded to it, but I want to cram it home because I think the body of Christ dwells in a state of massive confusion. People I know that I love that claim the Lord, and I know they honestly love the Lord, but they're dwelling in confusion. Right? I want them to be able to listen to this, and I want them to be able to know, how can we be sure that what this guy says is the faith? Well, it was put to the test in Jesus, like we just said. In fact, you could say it was tried in the fire, and it was proved to see what it was all about. 
right? Because everything we just talked about was everything that was in Jesus when he was nailed to the cross. And so the faith was tested. James would come and say that the faith has been tested, right? That the faith you're busy with, it produces the power to produce patience in you when it's squeezed by the world. And so we see the substance of the faith that was in Jesus' heart. And we see what that faith produces because his flesh was put to rest on the cross, wasn't it? Did Jesus try to come down off the cross? No, he was put to rest, wasn't he? In fact, his flesh rested, it says. If you read the psalmist in Psalm chapter 16, I think it's Psalm 16, where he says, my flesh rests in the hope of life, the hope of the glory of God. And what he's saying there is his flesh was put to rest by the faith that was in his heart, that the Father would serve him with the glory that he shared with the Father from the beginning. And so this faith we're describing, we see the substance that's contained in it. We see what it can do because it was put to the test in Jesus when the world came and nailed him to the cross. And we see the faith that was in Jesus's heart on the cross. It put his flesh to rest on the cross. And not only did it put his flesh to rest, but that faith that we're talking about, it raised him from the dead and glorified immortal flesh on the third day. I don't know what other proof you need. Take your favorite pet doctrine. We all have it. Do you see that in Jesus on the cross? Well, if you don't see it in Jesus' mouth on the cross, then it can't be the doctrine that's under life and godliness. Right? They're coming for me, guys. I, I, I got a funny kind of situation where I got three first names, Gregory, Robert, and Henry. And it used to be when I would go to the DMV, they would think that I was, something ain't right. This dude's got three first names, right? He's trying to pull a fast one. And they would ask me several times, Are you, sh-? you know, I would have something. One time I even had to bring some other identification in Colorado. And it was so funny, Becky and I had just met. She didn't know nothing about me. I was just some mysterious dude from New Orleans. And so I was, I was just messing with her, and I told her, that, you know, I'm not really who I am. And I told her about the three first names, and she was like, for a second there, she thought I could be telling the truth. <laughs> it was so funny. So the faith that we just described, the reason we know it's true, the reason the apostles believed it is because they saw what it produces in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how they knew this is the only faith, because look at it resulted in. We all had our own faiths. We all had our own doctrines. We all had our own wives' tales and fairy tales. Ain't none nobody else, ain't nobody else in the history of mankind came out of the grave never to die again. This man, Jesus, is the only man. And I want to talk to the Christian church, but if you want to talk to Muslims and Buddhists, I live in Colorado next to the largest Buddhist school in America. And you know what I would reason with those guys when we would talk about why we believe what we believe? I would tell them, listen, you don't understand. I'm after a glorified immortal body that will never die again. And there's only one guy that I see that has that. His name is Jesus. So if you can come and show me how Buddha lives forevermore and he lives in glorified immortal flesh forevermore, then maybe I'll listen to what you say. And that's how the Christian faith should be. If we don't see it in the man Jesus when he's nailed to the cross, it cannot be the doctrine that's unto life and godliness. And it's a distraction. It's nonsense. 
Jesus comes in seven, Revelation 3.18. Buy of me gold that's been tried in the fire, that you may be rich and be clothed in white raiment, so that the shame of your nakedness does not appear, and your eyes be anointed with eye salve, so you could see. So you could see what? Yourself glorified in immortal flesh. Buy of me gold. Jesus goes on to say in another place of Revelation, it's free. The only way you can buy it of him is by receiving it as a gift. If you try and get it from him by coming and offering what you've done, you can't have it. You can't have it. So Jesus comes and says, what is he, what's the gold? The faith. The faith. The life that's in the faith. That's the gold he's saying, buy of me. There's a faith that will anoint your eyes with eye salve to where you won't see your nakedness, but you'll see yourself clothed with the glory and immortality of God. <laughs> you guys following that? We want our faith and our doctrine to be developed. Paul's doctrine was developed by looking at the cross. We want our doctrine and our faith to be developed by looking at the cross. And so, listen guys, I say it again on purpose because we've become specialists in every doctrine other than the one that matters. And so I, I, I want to say it as many times as I can, but we want our doctrine to come from Jesus on the cross. There's Jesus on the cross. Again, there's no strength in his flesh, is there? So it ain't the strength in his flesh that caused him to come out of the grave. He wasn't wise according to what was seen in his flesh. So it's not by the world thinking that you're wise that you're going to inherit life and godliness. He wasn't noble according to what was seen in the flesh because he looked like a peasant and a pauper, didn't he? In fact, the scriptures say he was marred beyond recognition. He wasn't strong according to what was seen in the flesh. He had the fullness of weakness. He couldn't even carry the cross up the hill. So it can't be because of his strength. We can see both of his hands nailed to the cross, can't we? And we can see when both of his hands were nailed to the cross, he didn't look to the good works he could do. Like I said earlier, he didn't call it. He could have called out to the Father and said, Father, remember the miracles I performed. Remember the good things that I've done. Remember how I loved everyone perfectly. Remember how I was kind perfectly. Remember how I did everything perfectly, Father. But he didn't say that, did he? He looked to the Father's goodness and not his own goodness. In fact, when the rich young ruler come to Jesus and looked at Jesus and saw all the good things Jesus did, and he says, good master, how shall I inherit the kingdom of God? What did Jesus say? There's one who's good. You see how Jesus disregarded his own works? He was filled with meekness, is what the scriptures would say. You know what meekness means? Meekness means that you think little of your own ability and you think much of God's ability. In fact, it means you think nothing of your own works and you think everything of the work of God. That's what it means. So there's Jesus nailed to the cross. He wasn't talking to the Father about the good deeds he had performed. He made little of his own works. He made much of the work of God. He was as Matthew 5 says, the poor in spirit, he was the meek. He saw God's eyes were full of mercy. Hebrews said he looked to the one who could save him. And then he cried out, Abba, into your hands I commit my desire for life. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. 
That's what it means to know God as Father. It means that you look to Father, you look to God as the one who will father his life in you by his strength and not your strength. That's the doctrine of Jesus. That's the teaching of Jesus right there. Jesus also tells us how we know who we should look to to teach us. And who should we look to to hear about the way to inherit life of godliness? In fact, I think it's Matthew 23 or Matthew 21 maybe. He says, don't call many rabbi. Don't call yourself rabbi. Don't call yourself master. He says you have one who is master. Master in the Hebrew that's slang for rabbi. That's what it means. It means rabbi. We got, you know, we got a lot of slang around these parts. Well, the Jewish people have a lot of slang. And sometimes as Gentiles, we don't understand that Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew particularly, is filled with Jewish slang. So Jesus is like, don't call yourselves rabbi or teacher. Don't call yourselves the one that has the words of life. There's one who has the words of life. There's one who's rabbi, and it's even the Christ. And he was talking about himself. Now, in another place in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the greatest in the kingdom. Do you guys remember how he says that? The, he talks about the greatest in the kingdom and the least in the kingdom. L- listen, if we don't have a background in Jewish slang, we're going to think he's talking about the person who does the most good and the person who does the least good. He's not talking about that. Greatest in the kingdom in Jewish slang meant rabbi the one who's actually teaching about the words of life. Least in the kingdom was someone who claimed to be teaching the words of life, but was not teaching the words of life at all. So when Jesus Jesus is trying to explain to them how they'll know the doctrine that is from God, how they'll know the one true faith, he says you'll know the one true faith because the person that will come teaching you about the way unto life, they will prove that that is actually the way unto life. They won't just tell you it's the way unto life, but they'll prove that it's the way unto life. That's how you'll know their rabbi. That's how you'll know their teacher. That's how you know who to follow. That's what he says. You know what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you see what he says there? If you desire the kingdom of God, The way you seek the kingdom of God is by seeking God's righteousness to give it to you as a gift. He's teaching the way unto life. You desire the kingdom of God? You want to inherit the earth? You want to inherit the very righteousness of God? You want to inherit the godliness of God? The immortality of God in your human flesh? The way you're going to inherit all those things is by seeking God's righteousness towards you to give it to you as a gift. That's what he taught about the way unto life. Well, now he comes proving that he's greatest in the kingdom because on the cross, he proved that what he said was true. Because on the cross, he sought the Father's righteousness towards him to give him the kingdom as a gift, didn't he? Who did he look to when he desired immortality, when he desired righteousness, when he desired life? He looked to the Father's righteousness towards him. He looked to the Father's faithfulness towards him. And he committed his life into the hands of God. And then he came out of the grave, proving that his teaching was true. That's the only rabbi. Calvin isn't rabbi. For some of you thinking, who's Calvin? Thank God you haven't been infected with his doctrine. John Calvin is a theologian. He's not rabbi. 
Augustine is not rabbi. Craig Henry is not rabbi. Your favorite preacher is not rabbi. The Lord Jesus is the only one who's rabbi. That means he's the only one whose doctrine we're going to adhere to. And he revealed it clearly on the cross when he looked to the Father. And then he proved it is the doctrine that's under life when he came out of the grave and glorified in mortal flesh. That's it. Well, you might say, yes, that's the way to have eternal life, but we need to live right. <laughs> and we must lead godly lives in the earth. We need to serve. Yes, and the power to see all those things manifest in our lives, guess what? They're contained in the same faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. It's the same faith that was revealed in him on the cross. In fact, if you read Romans 12, when Paul talks about all the different gifts and all the different offices that people have in the church, do you know what he says about how those things come forth in people? He says the grace or the strength that produces those things in people comes from the measure of faith God gave to everyone in Jesus Christ. The faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ at the cross is that which contains the grace or the strength to produce these things in people. That's what he says. Paul later goes on to say in Romans 14, anything not of faith is sin. And so if we think the Christian faith is about how we must perform those gifts, we must perform the fruit of the Spirit, we must perform ministry, we must serve people. Listen, man, the, the power behind what we're doing is not of faith, it's of sin. And we'll finish with this. Paul's, and thank you so much for your endurance and your patience with me. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says this, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, will you now be made perfect by the strength of the flesh to perform the works of the law? Are you so foolish to think that having begun in the Spirit, that you now going to be perfected by your own strength, by your own ability to do the, to do the, the works of the law? by your own strength to serve? Are you so foolish? He says, this only would I ask you. Received ye the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? How are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Was it by your own strength and what you did or was it by you hearing about the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ? Paul goes on in Galatians to say, I'm confused because I put Christ crucified on display clearly in your midst. You beheld the faith that was in him and you believed in that faith and you were filled with the Holy Spirit and now you think you're going to be perfected by your strength to perform the works of the law? <laughs> so guys, we don't look at the works of the law and try to live godly in the earth through our works. That's not what we're going to do. Rather, what we desire is we desire to see people filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit can do no harm. The fruit of the Spirit can cause no harm. Can love cause harm? Can love do harm? Can peace do harm? Can peace cause harm? Can joy cause harm? Can joy do harm? None of those things can do harm. And so we're not trying to live godly in the earth by our own strength to do the works of the law or to be godly ourselves, but we see that the fruit of the Spirit is contained in the Holy Spirit. And Paul comes and says the power to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit is to walk in the Spirit. And he describes walking in the Spirit as hearing the faith. He says the way you walk in the Spirit is by hearing the faith. The way you're going to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit is by continuing to hear the faith. 
you will be perfected with the life of God by continuing to hear the faith because within the faith that was revealed in Jesus is contained life and godliness. This only what I ask you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of the faith? So if you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith, do you know how you continue to walk in the Spirit? The same way you received the Spirit. The hearing of the faith. What did Paul say? The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Paul could have just as easily said, the life I live in the flesh, I live walking in the Spirit. The way you walk in the Spirit is by looking at the faith that's in Jesus and continuing to hear it, talking with God about it, talking with one another about it, talking, singing about it, hearing about it, all those things. Because within that is life and godliness and the fruit of the Spirit. And as Paul says elsewhere, the Spirit moves as the Spirit wills. So if you want people to manifest the gifts of God, if you want the fruit of the Spirit, if you want the ministry gifts to manifest in people, then you preach the Spirit, which is to preach the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. That's how you do it. That's the only doctrine. It produces everything. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you that you come to, you come to settle the matter once and for all, that you come to uh, heal us from our confusion so that there can be order in the body of Christ instead of chaos. I thank you, Father, that all the doctrines that have gotten added into the church I thank you, Father, that all those doctrines fall away in the presence of the faith of Jesus Christ. I thank you, all. I thank you, Father, that in Christ crucified being put clearly on display, that it's going to burn off all the doctrines that have infiltrated the church that are distracting people from the one true faith. Thank you, Father, that you poured out your spirit and that your spirit is guiding us into the faith that was revealed in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you come to exalt us by your right hand, that you haven't asked us to put our own right hand to work. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. I love you guys. Thank you for coming. Hallelujah.